I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome in, Utah fans. This is the Crimson Corner Podcast, and as always, it's powered by kslsports.com. I'm your host and Utes insider, Trevor Allen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in every single week. I truly do appreciate it, and man, this one's going to be all about Utah's loss to Washington. I'm sure you guys have already seen the game. If not, you have probably saw the highlights. You probably saw it on Twitter, but it was a tough loss for the Utes as they were heading up to Seattle and had a 21-point lead at halftime and then was held scoreless for the second straight game, and Washington scored 24 points in the second half to pick up the win. So we will break it all down. I've got some thoughts on that game as well, and we'll also look ahead to the Oregon State Beavers as they will come to town at Rice-Eccles Stadium on Saturday, December 5th. That'll be an 8.30 kickoff on ESPN. And as of right now, according to John Wilner of Wilner Hotline, as of Monday morning, Utah and Oregon State is on. But keep in mind, it is 2020 and anything is possible. Wilner did say is that four Pac-12 teams are facing various COVID-related challenges. That is USC, ASU, Washington State, and Stanford. Now, Stanford did play last week. They uh, beat Cal in the big game. And that was a blocked PAT at the end for them to secure the victory as Cal was trying to tie the game. And then also USC, ASU, and Washington State did not play last week due to COVID-19. And that's what set up Utah and Washington. Utah was supposed to play the Sun Devils. And the Pac-12 even moved the game back to Sunday because it was originally scheduled for Saturday. And then all of a sudden, uh, on Tuesday, the Pac-12 then announced that Utah-Arizona State wasn't going to be played because the Sun Devils couldn't field the team which is the third straight week that Arizona State could not play. And since earlier in the week, the Apple Cup was canceled due to COVID-19 cases among the Washington State program, Washington was left without a game. And then that created the whole fiasco with BYU on Sunday night and Monday before Tuesday. 
Utah and Washington were matched up. And they then said that the game was going to be at Seattle, which I necessarily didn't agree with. But again, it's 2020. There wasn't fans there. It doesn't make that big of a difference. It's just more traveling for Utah. But I know that these players want to have another home game because they lost one earlier this year with their home opener against Arizona being canceled um, on November 7th. But Washington has played all home games. That was their third home game, and then they have another one this week. Their only road game is at Oregon, so it's just a little bit crazy. So then on top of that, after they scheduled the game, they said it was at Husky Stadium. It was going to be an 8.30 kickoff Mountain Time on ESPN, and then a day after that, so on Wednesday, Oklahoma's game against West Virginia was canceled, and they were currently slated for the 5.30 p.m. primetime slot on ABC, and so the Pac-12 and ESPN decided to put Utah-Washington in there. there. So it was a three-hour difference in kickoff time, and you moved to primetime television, which is huge exposure for Utah, which kind of makes it even more disappointing that they weren't able to pull off the win, but it just showed the whole country that this young Utah football team is legit. And I know you guys are saying, well, they're 0-2, and it's the first time since 2007 that Utah has started a season 0-2. But keep in mind, and I'm going to get into this more. These guys are so young, and they are impressive in their two games. And you're, you're asking them to start the season against USC when I truly believe, after watching Arizona the last, two, or the last three weeks, that Utah would have probably picked up a win. Now, the game against the Bruins the following week in the Rose Bowl, that one to me is a, is a little bit of a toss-up. The Bruins are playing well right now. Took Oregon down to the wire. They're now 2-2 two and two right now. Playing some good football. Demetric Felton is a legit running back, just like Utah is going to be facing a really legit running back coming up on Saturday. Utah allows the uh, go-ahead touchdown with 36 seconds left as Kate Otten scores his second touchdown of the night, and Utah just couldn't get the win. Blew a 21-point lead, lost 24-21. Looking at Twitter, and I've started to follow a lot of Ute fans, national media national analysts as well, and just seeing the reaction from fans, it was really mixed. It was a mixed bag because fans could be really upset, as they should. You know, you're, you're rooting for a team. You have high hopes. You have this game in the bag, basically. You're up three touchdowns going into halftime, and all you have to do is just hold them off, and Utah just couldn't, and not for a lack of trying either. Utah's defense was tremendous throughout the night and continues to impress me as well as the country because we all thought that this was going to be a year where the offense is going to be carrying Utah's defense. And right now, Utah's defense is doing a lot of the heavy lifting. But I did see some signs on offense. Now, after letting the game settle overnight, and I went back and watched the first half Saturday after the game, and then I watched the rest of it On Sunday night, I decided to do a story, Crimson Corner three-point stance after the game, which is three thoughts on every Utah game. And I I posted that up at kslsports.com on Sunday night. And what I came up with are three things, and these are all positive things. Number one, the running back production was really good. And I know that fans are not looking for the next Zach Moss. Because I don't know if there will be one. 
He's obviously the greatest running back in Utah football history for a reason. But Utah has plenty of options for a guy to be the lead back. But after two games, I feel like that Ty Jordan, the freshman from Texas, is that guy. For the second straight game, he led the Utes in rushing yards. I know last week against USC, he had 32 yards, which led the team in rushing. But in this game against Washington, who is very good on defense, especially stopping the run, Jordan had two 25-plus yard runs and finished with 97 rushing yards on 10 carries. He also caught four passes for 31 yards. But he just looked so good. I know he did have that fumble in the second half as Utah was getting into the red zone. And it was very costly because Washington went, went down and scored. But he's a freshman. They're going to make mistakes. But the future is so bright for this kid. He's 5'7", 200 pounds. He's built like a running back, and he's quick. But then you also have Devin Brumfield, who ran for 39 yards and a touchdown on 10 carries. Jordan Wilmore had 8 carries for 29 yards. But I feel like in this season, and I really like Jordan Wilmore and Devin Brumfield as well, but in this season where you don't have any type of eligibility issues, that's all been frozen. Why not give Jordan a bulk of the carries? And that's what Kyle Whittingham was you know, sounding like that, that they were going to do. It doesn't mean that you just throw Devin Brumfield and Jordan Wilmore out to the side. To be honest, Ty Jordan came out and you know started the game. He was in the starting lineup because he was the first running back that was trotted out onto the field when Utah took the field on offense. But the future is so bright, especially at, at running back, as it always is at Utah. They always have great running backs. Second thought, Utah's young defense is ahead of schedule. And what I mean by that, I thought it was going to take probably a whole year, maybe maybe half of a year, at least in this season, you know, abbreviated season, that it was going to take time to get the defense up to speed, especially when you didn't have spring ball. You had an abbreviated fall camp, and then you have your first two games canceled. All of these obstacles that Utah's defense has had to face, they've overcome. And it's been tremendous to see. Washington was a team going into that game against Utah, averaged 250 yards per game on the ground. And the Utes held them to 88 rushing yards on 26 attempts for an average of 3.4 yards per carry. Now, I saw some great things from Mika Tafua, Max Tupai, Hawati Pututau, Vianney Mawala up front, Devin Lloyd has been in double-digit tackles in both games this year. And then the secondary has been what has truly been a great surprise to see how those guys have been thrown into the fire and they have absolutely tackled every obstacle. Yeah, have they allowed big plays? Yeah, but they've minimized them. Clark Phillips is tremendous. He has such a bright future with this program. As well as JT Broughton. He's shown things of what he can do. Nate Ritchie has been tremendous. Fabian Marks even played well after filling in at corner because I noticed that Clark Phillips was playing nickel just watching the game and that Malone Mataele did not show up on the chart that lists all the players who played, which meant Fabian Marks is Clark Phillips' backup and also Broughton's backup, but Clark is Malone Mataele's backup at nickel. And Utah didn't play nickel the whole night. They went into their into their bigger package 
the uh, 4-3. They also put Sewell back at safety a little bit. But Fabian Marks had a pick in that first quarter and nearly had a pick six later on. Had he just caught the ball, he would have been, he would have been able to take it to the house, but it bounced off his chest. Zamaya Vaughn, the walk-on safety, had a, a really good game. Vontae Davis has played well. These guys are looking good on defense. And just imagine, they get free experience. This does not affect their eligibility. So this is basically, I don't want to say a glorified practice, because the games matter, but this is such a valuable time for these young players. And then the final thing is put all the positives from the USC game, which wasn't much offensively. Defensively was still good, but also that first half and some glimpses in the second half of the Washington game and put it into four quarters of football, and you have a chance to get your first win on Saturday against Oregon State, who just beat Oregon. So they're not going to come in here and just fold because Utah's rush defense is better than Oregon's, I believe. Even though Oregon has all the talent in the world, the four and five stars, Utah showed that they can shut down the run. And I know with Jamar Jefferson going off for over 200 yards against Oregon on Friday night, that that's going to be Utah's primary focus. And who knows what's going to happen with their quarterback. Uh, Tristan Jebbia suffered an injury late in that game against Oregon and was on crutches at the end of the game. So that's my three-point stance from that game. And something I'm going to do weekly as well over at kslsports.com and here on the Crimson Corner Podcast is five players that stood out. Now, if you guys will look back at last week after the USC game, and I'll usually post this on Sunday, I don't just pick the low-hanging fruit. Like, Devin Lloyd was not on my list last week, and he's not on my list this week because Devin Lloyd has already set the bar so high that we all know what he is capable of doing. These are guys who maybe didn't show up with big highlights, but made smaller impacts with the bigger picture and made some plays here and there. Some of them are going to be obvious, but some of them might surprise you. So last week, I went with Ty Jordan, Nephi Sewell, Clark Phillips III, Solomon Enos, and Devin Kafusi. Now, I didn't see Devin Kafusi much on defense against Washington. He did play, but I think he plays on special teams because he's got such a big frame. But it was mainly Mika and Max on the edges. And I saw Van Van Fillinger in there towards the end as well. But for this week, I'm going with Ty Jordan again. Just because he has been tremendous. Just making big play after big play. Not letting the bright lights affect him. Then I went with Fabian Marks for stepping in and playing well at corner when Clark Phillips has had to move over to nickel. We'll uh, see what happens this week if Fabian's going to be playing a lot again. Then Brian Thompson. Even though he only had three catches... All of them were big. 65 yards and a touchdown on the first drive. The first catch was a one-handed grab with a corner draped all over him. And he was able to make the grab. Next was also a touchdown on that fade into the end zone. He was wide open. But Brian Thompson, we know last year, he made big plays. He just couldn't make them all the time. But he was that deep ball threat for Tyler Huntley. Now he needs to be an every down threat. And I think that he's turning into that. And then Clark Phillips is my fourth guy again. He had nine tackles in his collegiate debut against USC. And against Washington, he had four tackles. But he made some key plays. The first one was in the first half as Washington was approaching the red zone. Dylan Morris threw a pass in the end zone on third down to Terrell Bynum. 
which Bynum was was making plays. He's one of their big time playmakers for Washington. But Phillips stayed with Bynum on the coverage, was able to cover the receiver to the point that he didn't have a chance to catch it. But what was more impressive is that Phillips covered the play and didn't make any contact to the receiver that would have caused a flag to be thrown. Now another one was uh, Phillips got a quarterback hurry. Morgan Scally called a corner blitz, and Phillips nearly sacked the quarterback. Morris just got it out just before Phillips was able to get to him. And then there was another play. Even though uh, the broadcasters on TV gave the, gave the tackle to Devin Lloyd, it was really Clark Phillips because uh, Pleasant was running, and as he was getting to the line of scrimmage, but prior to that play, Phillips' guy, who he was going to guard, motioned to the other side of the field, and then that opened up him to go and get him, and he was able to tackle Pleasant right at his feet, right at the line of scrimmage. Again, another reason why Utah stops the run and does a great job of doing so. And then another guy that I'm really excited to see the future for is Nate Ritchie. He had seven tackles, made great plays up at the line of scrimmage. He was, he was brought up into the box a lot to try and stop the run, and he did a tremendous job. Just a physical player who I think is going to be a bright spot for Utah's defense, especially in that secondary. And it's hard when you're having to replace Julian Blackman and Terrell Burgess. Richie's done a really good job in his first two games as a U. All right, a quick look at Oregon State. We'll have more on them later in the week. But the Beavers are currently 2-2 two and two right now. They lost their first two games to Washington State by 10 and by 6 to Washington. And then they beat Cal by 4 points and beat Oregon by 3. Now, in that game against Oregon, I watched that game, and I'm going to go back and watch it again, too, later in the week. But it was... A tremendous performance by Jamar Jefferson. He's now the guy at running back after Artavis Pierce went off to the NFL. But Jefferson had 29 carries for 226 yards and two touchdowns. His longest run was an 82-yard score, and he averaged 7.8 yards per carry. That's insane. And then Colby Taylor, as a wide receiver, had 114 yards on seven catches, but not really a ton in the uh, passing game, although Jebbia did complete 23 passes of his 37 attempted for 263 yards and a touchdown. They were sacked once, but I think that Oregon State's offensive line is really good. I think that they're underrated, to be honest. And then they have a defense that is full of playmakers. And the guy who really stands out, even though I didn't, I don't think he played against Oregon, is Hamilcar Rashid, the linebacker who came back for his senior season. He led the nation in tackles for loss last year. He hasn't had quite that year so far in 2020, but Murray Hughes had a sack and three and a half tackles for loss. Omar Spates is really good, so is Avery Roberts. Oh, sorry, Hamilcar did play. He just had five tackles and a forced fumble against Oregon, but they have some great linebacker play, so it'll be interesting to see what happens on Saturday night. We'll uh, get more of a preview of the Beavers coming up later in the week. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to preview Utah basketball. Yeah, the running Utes are finally going to get going. Talk about who they're going to be playing coming up as they open up the season on Thursday at the Huntsman Center. You're listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. 
Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome in to the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by kslsports.com. Trevor Allen here with you. Time to talk some Utah basketball as the running Utes will open up play on Thursday, and they're opening up right into Pac-12 play as they will host the Washington Huskies on December 3rd at 4 p.m. Mountain Time at the Huntsman Center. It'll be broadcast on the Pac-12 networks. But they also announced their uh, non-conference schedule. They were supposed to play New Orleans the day after Thanksgiving, but because of COVID-19 cases among the program, including a positive test for head coach Larry Kraskoviak, they weren't able to play the game. But the running Utes will also host Idaho State on Tuesday, December 8th. That time is to be determined. They will then head to Provo to take on BYU on Saturday the 12th before coming back home on Tuesday the 15th against Utah Valley. Mark Madsen's team will be coming up to Salt Lake City. And then they will round out non-conference play on December 18th which is a Friday against Idaho. The Vandals will be coming to Salt Lake City. So all regional play and Pac-12 play. And then the rest of the month, uh, the uh, 22nd Tuesday will be Arizona State. And then the Utes will get the uh, Christmas holiday off before coming back on New Year's Eve on the road against UCLA on Thursday. Now, just some things to watch for. Washington's already played a game, and they got hammered, given it was number two Baylor. But Washington was picked towards the bottom of the Pac-12 preseason poll. They lost 86-52 to in Las Vegas to number 2 Baylor. And in that game, Raekwon Battle had 10 points as the only player to get in double figures for the Huskies. But a guy to watch for, Quade Green. He's their guard who played a couple of games last year but then was ruled ineligible for the Huskies. He's now eligible this year. Now, Green is a transfer from Kentucky. He's really good. Even though in 25 minutes against Baylor, he was 1 of 5 from the field, 0 for 3 from downtown. He had two assists, two turnovers, and two points. He also had two steals. He's really good. He's a guy that Utah will need to focus on it. But uh, Jamal Bay and Eric Stevenson each had eight points as well for the Huskies. Now, for the Utes, I'm curious to see how, how they'll bounce back after having such a long layoff. Players tested positive for COVID. But we do know one thing. This offense is going to surround Timmy Allen. Apparently, according to Timmy Allen and coaches, we haven't been able to watch any practices or anything. Timmy has really worked on his jump shot. And hopefully he can be more of a threat from downtown, even mid-range. Because last year, he had a great non-conference slate. He was able to get to the rim, was able to make plays, really physical player, especially with his back to the basket. But when you started double-teaming him down there and start figuring him out. And that was when his, his production dipped in conference play as soon as January hit was because teams had tape on him and they were figuring him out. Now, Timmy's got a counter now with trying to be able to stretch his game out offensively. If he can get a, a jump shot and be really effective from downtown, 
he's going to be a dynamic player this year for Utah. And his average will then go back up into the 20 points per game range like it was during the non-conference slate last year because then he dipped to about 16 points per game. Another guy who I think will have a great season is Ryland Jones. He already showed glimpses of how good he can be last year. He had big games against BYU. He was huge. Um, against Oregon, he was really good. He had great moments. And he was a, a true freshman who was thrown into the fire. Basically, where he said, here, we're handing the reins to our offense to you. Go out and make plays as our starting point guard. Run the offense. And he did that. His problem was, was that he's a really physical player. He's not afraid of contact. Probably the leading charge taker in the entire country. If, if not, he's up there. And he started getting injured from making plays like that. But Ryland has told us leading up to the season that he's been working on that. I also want to see what Riley Batten can do because he, he was starting for a while and then ended up getting benched later in the year. I want to see him make that leap, be a, a constant performer for Utah to try and be able to be that, I would say, third scorer for Utah because Batten has shown glimpses of him being able to shoot it, can rebound, but let's see him put it all into form and put it on everyday basis. And then a guy who came on, bursted onto the scene towards the end of the year was Alfonso Plummer. Now, last year, he was a end-of-the-bench guy because Larry said that he, in practice, he just wasn't performing well. But when he was in games, he was lighting it up. He ended up setting a Pac-12 record for the most threes made in a Pac-12 tournament game. I think it was 11. It was 11 or 12. I know it was in that range. Now, you're looking at him being a guy to potentially start at that two-guard spot and be another scorer, a guy who can knock down threes at a high rate. Brandon Carlson is another guy I'm really looking forward to. Showed really great signs defensively. He had a game where he had, I think, eight blocks. I believe it was against Stanford last year. Put on some more weight and be more of a threat as far as stretching out his game to be that, that stretch five. I want to see that from him this year. And I think that he can do it. And then a couple of more guys that I want to highlight here to watch for. Mickey Yantunis, he's just a guy who is going to be doing all the dirty work for Utah. Get rebounds, play defense, take charges, put backs, all of that. He's a great role player for this Utah basketball team. And then Jordan Kellier, um, the uh, transfer from Williston State. He prides himself on scoring, but also on defense. So I want to see what he can do, as well as Pele Larson. He's the uh, freshman from Sweden. Look for him to be the backup to Ryland Jones. Can score, but he's also 6'5", so he could play He could play two guard as well. And then the one I'm most excited to watch for, a guy that I haven't seen in live play that no one has in college, Ian Martinez, the four-star recruit, has such a bright future, is a scoring machine, 6'3", 181 pounds. This kid's going to be a stud, and I can't wait to see what he does in his first college game, especially when it's Pac-12 play and you're not opening up against Mississippi Valley State or some of these other teams that are, that are easier games. You're going right into the thick of things. So I'm curious to see what he does, as well as uh, Jackson Brenchley. You know, when, when he was filling in for Booth Gotch last year, who now has transferred to Minnesota, um, Brenchley has played well in 2019, 2020 year. So tip-off is set for 
Thursday at 4 p.m. Mountain Time on the Pac-12 Networks. Obviously, fans are not allowed to attend the games. All right, well, that'll do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll uh, have another episode dropping later this week previewing the Oregon State Beavers. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's always powered by kslsports.com. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.